Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, we're going to open this hour with Psalm 103. I consider this uh, a forget-me-not prayer. So I want you to consider this a forget-me-not from the Lord and an encouragement uh, to you and I to forget him not. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord, it is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O his angels, O mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Friends, let us not forget all the benefits of who God is and what God has done. A conversation up next with Mark Galley about the reality that uh, we have in large measure forgotten God. Mark Galley uh, encourages us to turn our attention away from the politics of the moment, the social issues that we are uh, all discussing all the time right now, sort of the debates du jour. And he's asking us instead to take a long and hard look at what's missing from our spirituality. Have we forgotten God? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Galley is the former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. He joins us today as the author of When Did We Start Forgetting God? The Root of the Evangelical Crisis and Hope for the Future. 
Uh, he's joining us via Skype. Mark, welcome again to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, good to be with you. So let's talk about the crisis at the root of uh, so many of the crises of our day. Um, you contend that there's one crisis at the heart of all of it, and that is that we have forgotten God. Yes, of course. Uh and uh, taking after our Lord, it's a, it's a bit of a hyper, hyperbole, <laughs> an exaggeration to make a point. But I think it's, an, it's a true enough that it's accurate enough. It's certainly accurate in my own life. That is to say, of course, I talk about God. I pray to God. I uh, read scripture and try to understand what he wants for my life. But when it comes to the day-to-day living of my life and the kind of emotions that drive them, Pretty much after I say my morning devotions, uh, many days it's just a matter of uh, I put it's like I put God aside and now I'm, I now I'm going to get on to the business of life. Uh, and I think most of us are driven by that uh, by by a kind of activism uh, that always is tempting us to shove God out of the picture so that we can get some really important things done, things that are on our agenda. And I think that's what I'm trying to call us to. Uh, obviously not to ignore the fact that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, but to frame that more and more with uh, our, our love of God. Okay. Um, never ha- never has a truer truth been spoken, because the uh, what you describe as practical atheism, I, uh, I describe as functional atheism. I think we're talking about exactly okay. the same thing. Yeah, and exactly. so um, my challenge, uh, my experiential challenge, is always with people who self-identify as evangelical Christians, and they do check off all the boxes. They uh, they go to church. They say they believe. Uh, they they say they're operating out of a biblical worldview. Um, uh, although when pressed, they're not actually applying that to life. They are living according to their own agenda, their own um, set of priorities that uh, that are often far afield, far afield from the character and nature of God, from the transcendental virtues, and certainly from the love of neighbor. I mean, so I'm, I, I live right where you are. Uh, you're, you're scratching the itch. Uh, let me just say that uh, with this particular book. Let me uh, give people the title again. When did we start forgetting God, the root of the evangelical crisis and the hope for the future? The author is Mark Galley. Um, so people are going to respond um, immediately to both of us and say, God is on our money. God is in our Pledge of Allegiance. God is in the speeches of our politicians. Um, what do you mean when you claim that we have forgotten God? I think I mean what just what you've said. Uh, I called it pr- uh, practical atheism. I'm sorry, you called it practical atheism? You you actually call it practical atheism. Um, I call, it, call it functional it atheism, but it's the same thing, atheism. I think. Yeah, I, like that, <laughs> I like that phrase better. I wish I would have known that phrase. I would have used that in the book instead. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we, uh, it is that habit uh, of just not allowing God to invade our lives except in the areas where we're supposed to have him. So that would be Sunday worship, morning prayer, grace at meals. And it, I mean, some of it is, is good. I mean, obviously God wants airline pilots when they're helping, they're about to land a plane. He wants them not thinking about God and praying the Psalms right then. He wants them landing that plane safely and thinking about nothing else but the safety of the passengers. But there's many times during the day, even though we're doing a task for God that requires our full attention, that we could be stepping back and saying, and taking a breath and saying, wow, this whole thing that I'm in, involved in is due to the love and grace and mercy of, of my creator. And uh, simply allow that moment to be framed by our love and passion for God. 
But unfortunately, what we've done is we've taken the passage where Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've said, well, what that means is I have to do good things for him. Well, it does mean that for sure. But I don't think he uses that phrase, love God with all my heart, uh, casually. I mean, I think he really means it. And uh, one of the things I'm striving for at this stage in my life is to figure out what does that mean and how do I stoke a, a heartfelt love for God in the midst of all my busy activities? All right. And that takes us really to the central theme of the book, which is the role of desire. Is is my desi- is a desire um, not only for a knowledge of God, but a desire to know God and then to please God, are those the driving forces um, in my spirituality and and then the driving force in my life? I think that's that's ultimately the question you are inviting us to ask. Um, is yes. is is yeah. a desire really at the heart of my evangelical Christianity? And the fact that uh, a lot of us will listen to that and go, "Oh my gosh, it isn't." What is it that I desire? Indicates. Th- that we have lost sight of who God really is. And while I, while I take great satisfaction in, in desiring something as simple as a morning cup of coffee or a beautiful sunset or visiting an art gallery or going fly fishing, the thing to be remember is that the ultimate delight for the human heart, the only thing that can satisfy our deepest yearnings, is the person of God. Uh, and if we find ourselves taking more delight in his creation rather than the creator, we've kind of missed the point. And so when the psalmist says his greatest delight is to seek after God, he understands who the source of all delight is. Uh, but most of us, uh, mo- that's something we forget. We forget that God is the ultimate source of all delight and joy and fulfillment and we, uh, because it's so hard to find joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment of God, because it's it's a narrow road, it's a hard road. We tend to get detoured, and we'll take shortcuts to get there to find something that's somewhat satisfactory in this life, rather than focusing on on God Himself. And I I just need to make it absolutely clear: I'm not speaking from a position of I've got my act together, and the rest of you don't. I'm saying. This is what I've discovered in my own life. This is the journey I'm working on. I encourage, you know, I welcome uh, fellow uh, sojourners in this in this uh, journey. Yeah, in this Pilgrim's Progress of the 21st yes, century. Exactly. Uh, I'm talking that. with uh, Mark Galley. You know him as the uh, former editor in chief of Christianity Today. Um, we're talking with him today as the author of a brand new book. When did we start forgetting God? The root of the evangelical crisis and the hope for the future. We got to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to continue uh, this conversation. We'll be right back. Talking with Mark Galley about his new book, When Did We Start Forgetting God? Uh, Mark is observing that many of us have... um, been detoured from the greatest delight, the greatest delight being God himself, not just the knowledge of him, but a sweet fellowship with him that grows richer and deeper every single day. Uh, Mark, talk with us about keeping the right focus. I mean, much of the book is about uh, keeping the right focus on God, not ourselves. 
Um, I think that's a particular challenge in this sort of my story, my truth, self-made selfie culture. Yeah, it's also uh, hard in the, in a therapeutic culture where we talk, mm. where we we think and instinctively act based on our feelings. So one key uh, moment of spiritual discernment I try to work in my own life is uh, what's going what's going on and why am I doing what I'm doing. So for example, when I attend uh, a worship service that is uh, full with has many praise choruses that often by their very nature lift the soul and make one feel love for God and feel God's presence in one heart. Uh, and what 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 the distinction is that you have to start to make is the next week when you go to church, are you going to church to have a, an experience? Are you going to church to worship God who may give you an experience or may not? Uh, and I find sometimes after I've had an extraordinary spiritual experience, it's really kind of interesting how the enemy twists that. So now I'm thinking what I want now is to have a, a wonderful spiritual experience rather than give myself devotedly to God who sometimes gives us experiences and sometimes doesn't. So that's what I mean by therapeutic culture. We 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 seek after the feeling uh, rather than the source of the feeling uh, often. And uh, we, it's just one of the ways we have to check ourselves and say, whether I'm feeling spiritual or not, whether I'm feeling uh, uh, joyful or not, whether I'm feeling like I want to worship God or not, can I give myself to him devotedly? Uh, like we, you know, it's like, it's like we do in all other relationships, which aren't always sweet, but we do make them a high priority. So I feel like um, the book makes this, I mean, it comes in parts. So we have the crisis outlined at the beginning. We then have um, these observations about the church. And I really appreciate the back to the Bible um, part of that conversation. Um, And then uh, in part three, this deepening desire conversation. And, And I feel like, Mark, you've just, you've kind of pushed us in the direction of asking these why questions um, why why do I need a Sabbath and why would I observe it? I mean, this is not the way that you frame it, but this is this is now um, you're provoking me to kind of go back and and reread with this why question in mind. Um, obviously, you know, it's a spiritual discipline to read the Bible or to pray or to confess. But the way that you framed it is that these are also ways uh, into this deepening, um, the, cultivating a deepened desire to simply know God. Um, and yeah. That is that is rich. So talk with us a little bit about what have traditionally been called spiritual disciplines, which you take up here um, in the book. Yeah, I mean, it isn't like I'm asking us to do anything new, except except to just to remind ourselves that the church has been Christians have been struggling with this for 2000 years on and off, some more successfully than others. But anyone who has made any progress in trying to fill their heart with the love and desire of God is a person probably who has been pretty serious about the spiritual discipline, which includes the reading of Scripture where Christ comes to meet us, and prayer, and various types of prayer, not just prayer uh, listing a a bunch of things I want God to do for me, but a listening prayer, what some people call contemplative prayer. Uh, It it is, in, in one sense... Stoking our desire for God is not rocket science. There are these disciplines that have been given to us through the ages to help us do that. Uh, but they do require a fair amount of patience and perseverance. And and they do require us to remember that during the dry times, when we are 
in contemplative prayer and nothing seems to be happening, and when we're reading the Bible and no message seems to be getting to us, that those are part, instead of just abandoning it and, and, and abandoning those moments and getting back to activity, which can be self-fulfilling in a lot of different ways, uh, it's still important for us to live through that dry period because that's actually a period in which God is trying to reveal something about himself to us. Um, so the spiritual disciplines are really key to that. And again, I just want to make sure people know uh, I'm a learner on that on that uh, journey as well. Uh, but I, I just think one of the things I'm trying to point out in the book is that we not approach one another and approach our fellow human beings who aren't Christians as if we have got our act together in this department and mm -hmm. to recall how, how long the journey is and how much we still have to go, all the while knowing that God knew knew all this before we did. It isn't like we have to beat ourselves for this, but he does draw us in to try to get a deeper and deeper relationship with him. Uh, I particularly appreciated chapter 19 on the topic of confession. Um, when we arrive at the end of the book, we find ourselves uh, challenged with the second commandment. So uh, I appreciate the way that you, you describe, you know, Jesus doesn't even lose a breath between uh, telling us what the first commandment, reminding us what the first commandment is, and being sure we also understand that the second is likened unto it, that we must love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, there's no uh, there's no conscious difference in loving God and loving neighbor in the mind of Christ, and yet somehow we have divided those two um, ideas and practices in our life together. Yeah, and what we we end up. Uh... Uh, substituting the uh, penultimate, uh, penultimate goal of a lot of things to an ultimate goal. So when I worked at Christianity Today, there was a lot of talk about the need for more diversity in the company, uh, including more minorities on our staff and in our writers. And I, you know, I, I think and I think we tend uh, on something like that. We say that's a good thing that because our country is uh, and especially our movement evangelical Ism is diverse. We we should have a diverse uh, staff. And let's say we got the diverse staff. Uh, we shouldn't then stop and say, well, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> That's great. We should remember that the reason why we want a diverse staff is because, uh, because of God. God is the person who's created all this diversity. And instead of diversity in and of itself being an end, that's an ex here would be an example of if we have diversity, it should lead us to a greater gratefulness and love of God because it's a reflection of who God is as our creator of many and many diverse things, including diverse people, diverse flora and fauna. Uh, and almost every human activity that you think of, not almost, I'd say everyone, in which there's this penultimate goal, uh, what I'm asking us to do is then to reframe that and remember that this also exists within a bigger frame, which is called the love and desire for God. All right. Uh, you, you, I'm going to give you an opportunity here at the close to uh, define a term. What is a monomaniac? <laughs> well, it's— You know, I don't, want you to for, I don't want you to forget that you have been on Mornings with Carmen. I, I don't want you to forget yes. that. So I, I want you to define monomaniac. <laughs> Just someone who is just utterly captivated by a single vision. Uh, Kierkegaard, the philosopher, said the purity of heart is to will one thing. And uh, I think uh, 
the one thing that God, God wants us to be absolutely monomaniac, I don't know what the adverb would be, <laughs> to be a monomaniac about is love. Which would monomaniacal. Be the word you're looking for is mono. Hey, I am here for you. Mark Galley, anytime that you need a, a made-up word or the amplification of a word, I that is something I am good at. Hey, we have to leave it right there. Mark Galley, what a delight to talk with you again. The book is When Did We Start Forgetting God? Uh, you can uh, you can find Mark at Mark Galley, G-A-L-L-I-E, MarkGalley.com. Oh, Thank oh, you. No, he just an I. Oh, just an I. I put an E on there. Yeah, I see that now. Mark Galley, right. just an I. Uh, hey, thanks again. We appreciate your coming you. and joining us. Appreciate the All right. opportunity. We'll be right Blessing. back. Okay, for those of you who are communicating with me on the text line, thank you. I'll be responding here in just a moment to each one of your text messages. If you'd like to communicate with me, you can do so by, well, you just text anything you want to 877-933-2484. Just keep in mind, everybody reads it. The whole Faith Radio staff. So it's not just me with my eyeballs on there. So, uh, you know, think about that before <laughs> before you type. Um, okay, so let's see. North Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. Uh, it's going to be online, fully online. There will be live events. There will be pre-recorded ele- elements. Um, you get access now to all 19 breakout sessions, and you can view them at your own pace, as well as the keynote addresses from Karen Kingsbury and Dr. Alicia Britt Scholey. Um, also opportunities for virtual one-on-one appointments, all kinds of cool stuff going on. Register right now at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference.com. We'll be right back. This is Max Lakato. Revenge builds a lonely house, space enough for one person. The lives of its tenants are reduced to one goal, make someone miserable. They do, themselves. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. God's healing includes a move out of the house of spite toward the spacious ways of grace, away from hardness toward forgiveness. Can he really, you wonder? Can he clean up this mess, this history of sexual abuse, this raw anger at the father who left my mother? Can God heal this ancient hurt in my heart? Begin the process of forgiveness. Turn your attention away from what they did to you to what Jesus did for you, and stay the course. You'll spend less time in the spite house and more in the grace house. You're going to love the space of grace. This is Max Lakato. You'll get through this. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's very good to be on your program again. It's very good to have you. Okay, so we have a um, a story that has unfolded in Russia. Uh, for those who have not heard yet, a Russian court on Monday. So, you know, Monday's been going on longer in Russia and the U.K. than it's been going on here in the United States of America so far. But um, in a Russian court on Monday, an American businessman was sentenced to 16 years in prison uh, on spying charges. Um, talk with us about what you know about the conviction of Paul Whelan. Well, I don't know much because they really didn't produce any evidence at all of the actual trial. I do know that he has 
both Canadian and British and American citizenship. So he's obviously a man of some international business standing. And he was apparently arrested uh, way back in December on these charges. And he complained that what happened was that on his hard drive, somebody, some investigator discovered material that they claimed was security information, which he didn't even know about. So I think it's it's going to be very difficult. I suspect that probably there will have to be some kind of exchange of convicted spies from the U.S. or the British side on the one hand and, and on the Russian side on the other in order to get him out. Okay, so um, he was in Russia to attend a friend's wedding, um, and he was uh, arrested outside of a Moscow hotel in December of 2018. He's 50 years old. He's a security, corporate security executive, veteran of the Marine Corps. Um, I do think that there's more to this story, and so I just wanted to lift it up this morning. Um, I just think it's interesting that Russia would capitalize on this particular moment when um, when Putin has uh, has pointed to the protests in the United States of America as a weakness in our system where, you know, some would say, hey, the fact that we could have all these protests and most of them, the, the overwhelming majority of them, be very peaceful um, is actually pointing to the strength of our system. But there you go. That debate, I suppose, will uh, will continue until we've arrived at a new normal here. Let's talk about the um, the cutting off of communication uh, between North and South Korea from from the North. What what's going on in Korea? Well, what happened is that the North Koreans have been agitated for some time um, about balloons coming from South Korea, both with evangelical Christian messages and propaganda or what the North Koreans consider propaganda messages, speaking about differences between life in the South and life in the North. And they object very strongly to this kind of information spreading over North Korea, and they absolutely want this to stop. And I think, in fact, the South Koreans are probably going to stop it because it's really been a very provocative element in their relation. You know, David, this is uh, this is one of those occasions when, um, w- you know, Westerners have thought, "Hey, here's a good idea. Let's um, let's tie thumb thumb drives that include the Bible uh, onto you know onto helium balloons or or those kinds of balloons that are um, uh, uh, that are that are lit and can you know travel over long distances." Um, and let's send them over the border. Let's, you know, let's have this be a way that we uh, disseminate the gospel. And I don't think we often consider the risk that we put people in on the other side of that border um, when we do those kinds of things. I mean, Waylon, I mean, just going back to the first story, um, Waylon was allegedly in possession of a thun- thumb drive that he had been handed. Um, you know, you can just imagine somebody in North Korea picking up a thumb drive off the ground um, and then finding, you know, being found to have been in possession of it and what would happen to them 
in North Korea versus what has happened to this uh, businessman in, in Russia. So I just think that we don't often think about the consequences, the very real consequences of, uh, of, of our well-intentioned evangelism efforts. Well, Carmen, that's true. But in fact, uh, missionary groups have been sending material into China, into communist China, for a very long time. And the evidence is that the Chinese Christians who receive this are actually very grateful to be sent it, even if it comes in the form of a thumb drive or something else, because they have not been able to get materials, Bible materials and so forth, and they're willing to accept that risk. That at least is what Chinese Christians have been saying, and I suspect that's also the opinion of North Korean Christians. Right. And I guess my hope would be at this point, David, there are enough Christians in China who already better understand the situation in North Korea than than we would, um, you know, who who might now take up this cause. Right. <laughs> you know, right, they could be absolutely. they could be sending in information in ways that maybe would be less obvious than tying them to balloons. So there you go. Um, all right. You're gonna, you and I are going to pivot to a conversation about Hong Kong here in just a moment. We have to take a very brief break. I am talking with David Aikman editor of Godspeed Magazine, and we'll be right back. What you're hearing are the voices of protesters in Hong Kong singing Alleluia to the Lord. Uh, With me is David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. David, let's talk about what is going on in Hong Kong. Um, The the continued efforts by China to impose, um, I guess, just the full communist agenda um, in what has been the special administrative region for for a very long time. That's right. On May 28th, the uh, National People's Congress authorized the new national security law for Hong Kong, which basically gives the Hong Kong authorities power to prevent any protest or any written expression that they don't agree with. And it's clearly a breach of both the Sino-British Agreement of 1994 that uh, specified that Hong Kong would be completely separate from the People's Republic in legal terms. And it's also a breach of the statement by then paramount leader, Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping, that Hong Kong would have 50 years of its own way of life. So it's clearly an attempt to authorize the communization of Hong Kong as fast and as far as it will go without any objections being permitted by Hong Kong legislators or other figures. So, David, um, some of what we're reading, I mean, you know, this, it just seems like the, the headlines related to China um, within these, like, side headlines related to Hong Kong um, just continue to proliferate. Twitter has removed more than 170,000 accounts linked to China engaged in a range of manipulative and coordinated activities around issues, not only including the coronavirus, but um, but Hong Kong. Um, 
uh, it's, um, you know, they're communicating in the Chinese language or Chinese languages, and they're spreading what Twitter describes as geopolitical narratives favorable to the Communist Party of China, the CCP. Um, When we talk about narratives, the communist narrative that the people of China um, hear, in which they are raised, uh, in which they are educated, um, the what what is that narrative? Well, the narrative is that anybody basically who looks Chinese and who was born in China or in Hong Kong is a Chinese citizen subject to all the laws and regulations of People's Republic of China, which are, of course, communist laws. And so they don't accept the possibility that any part of China is not completely under communist control. And so that is why they are absolutely paranoid about people in Hong Kong not only saying we are separate from China legally, but actually beginning to ask for actual independence from the People's Republic. That is something they regard as a completely illegal political desire, and they're not going to allow that to be expressed. Um, All right, so let's take the last couple of minutes. Anything else you want to say on Hong Kong, first of all? I don't want to cut you off on that, but I would like to pivot to Brazil for a moment if, if, uh, if you're ready to do that. Sure. Well, let let me just say one other thing about Hong Kong. I think we're going to see more protests from Hong Kong in the next few months and maybe the next few years if if the communist regime doesn't completely stifle them, because people in Hong Kong feel very, very strongly that they have tasted democratic governance and the rule of law, and they want that to continue. Okay, so if we're going to pivot to South America and we're going to talk specifically about Brazil, um, what a raging mess. I mean, we've been. Yeah. So can you can you just um, help us understand what's happening in Brazil? Um, Apparently, the prospect of military intervention um, and absolutely these surging cases of coronavirus. Well, yes, Brazil has suffered more. Uh, from the coronavirus than any other country in Latin America uh, or Hispanic America, I should say. And the fact is that Brazil's health facilities are already seriously overburdened because it doesn't have a very effective national health service. And so you're getting hospitals completely overcrowded with people who were exhibiting symptoms of the virus and who in some cases are seriously ill. And I think the number of deaths in Brazil are second only to those in the United States, which is the country that hitherto has been most seriously affected by coronavirus fatalities. So it's a very serious situation in the rest strong political complications as well with the uh, nationalist regime of Bolsonaro involved. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures from um, where they are burying the dead in Brazil, Um, but um, they're burying, I mean, 
thousands, tens of thousands of graves um, are on these beaches just, you know, just outside of the city of Rio. And I'm I'm thinking to my I'm thinking to myself, you know, once they've removed those uh, those very simple wooden crosses that are marking those thousands of graves on those beaches, um, you know, by what this time next year, they're going to be covered again with people lying out there on beach towels. It's just a it's such a curious, bizarre scene to see, you know, these beaches uh, of Brazil um now cemeteries for just tens of thousands of people. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it really is. It's it's tragic in a way because Brazil has been famous all over the world for having marvelous beaches, of course, most famously Copacabana Cabana in uh, outside Rio. And uh, it's tragic to see this beautiful country uh, festooned with crosses marking graves of people who died in this virus. It's really tragic. Okay, I'm now, uh, I do have a listener who says, I think that's a demonstration, uh, not those, I don't think those are real bodies in those graves. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little, like a little bit better. Okay, if maybe that is an image of uh, of of a demonstration of, uh, so to catch people's attention, which it certainly did, uh, catch my attention when I saw the image. So thank you for that clarification from a listener. Our listeners are on top of it, man. Uh, you got to appreciate that. David Aikman, thank you as always uh, for joining us, editor of Godspeed Magazine, bringing us up to date each and every Monday on what's happening around the world and doing so from a Christian worldview. We genuinely appreciate it. Thank you very much, Carmen, for inviting me on again. Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, so uh, I have been tested for the coronavirus, uh, and I don't have it. Uh, I was tested in order that um, I would be considered eligible to go and care for my aging parents. Uh, My stepdad, who's 86, has tested positive for the virus. um, And my mom, as you will recall, because you've been praying for me, um, had a heart attack on Memorial Day and open heart surgery two days later. So she just had a triple bypass. So she's recovering from that. So I'm just letting you know that if if the show sounds different tomorrow, it'll be because um, I I'm transporting all of my equipment with me, and we're hoping, right, Paul? We're hoping. Oh, <laughs> a little more than hoping. <laughs> oh yeah, we're hoping. Um, so uh, so pray with us, and then um, also pray for Paul, who is going to get to do the fun technology side um, of making sure we're still on the air tomorrow. So have, have you ever heard advance. the phrase bailing wire and bubble gum? <laughs> Yeah, I got it all, man. Okay. I got I got I got it all. I'm taking it all. I'm taking the whole, you know, kitten caboodle. Um, all right, so pray for us. We will be praying for you. Continue to communicate with us. You can always text us at 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen at myfaithradio.com. Love your insights, love your ideas, um, love what I'm hearing from you uh, as well. Um, hey, and just a little shout out right now to uh, to Jan Smith appreciating what I'm reading right now from you on uh, on our text line. So blessings upon you uh, this day to each and every one of you. All right, friends, let's go out there and represent Christ in the world in ways that he would recognize, like in ways that Jesus would see and he'd be like, oh yeah, that looks like me. That looks like me. That looks like me. You and I, let's go out there and be a living demonstration of the gospel. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.